Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Ribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Here is a little cheeky bonus episode for you this week. The quintessential British pub is changing. Now, is that good or bad or just necessary? Well, pause a minute and let's imagine that you're sitting in said pub. And on the drinks menu, you find a delightful rosé cider served by the wine glass, a fine small batch English whiskey described as having notes of cherry and an impressive selection of mocktails and botanical-based soft drinks and cordials. And then you notice the pub isn't just open at lunchtime and in the evenings. It offers art and floristry classes in the afternoons and a mum and toddler's coffee morning between 9 and 12 on weekdays. Now maybe your local organises these sorts of things already and if it does it falls into what my guest today describes as the hybrid pub category. They include pubs which use their buildings in different ways or partner up with local breweries, distilleries and chefs to offer their customers new drink and food experiences from supper clubs to gin safaris. Katerina Albanese is the content director of The Pub Show, also known as Pub 20, and it opens its doors on the 4th and 5th of February at Olympia in London. And as you'll hear now, it's the place to learn about the latest trends and be inspired on how to make a pub a success. But even if you can't make the show, have a listen for some of the trends going on in the pub scene at the moment. Enjoy the conversation. Katerina, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Uh, for people listening, can you just set the scene? Where on planet Earth are we, please, Katerina? So we are here at Manchester Square at the uh, Montgomery Group's head office. Um, yeah, ready to talk about all things Pub 20 and about the pub industry. Yeah, perfect. So um, the pub show, this is your sort of, you know, upcoming event. Can you just explain a little bit what's what's your role so I am the content director for the event. So my job is to curate all the seminar programs. Um, we've got three stages at the show. Um, and my job is to put together all the speakers and the content and make sure it's really relevant and exciting so that the publicans who come to the show can learn something new um, and exciting. So that's my role. Amazing. And this is a national show and it's aimed at what the the sort of the uh, the, the chain or the groups as well as the independent hotel, uh, pub sector. Is Absolutely. That it's, it's targeted to the entire public and industry. So everyone from your general managers, your bar staff, um, to your big group operators, um, we really do welcome everyone. It's Amazing. a real community event. Yeah, perfect. Okay, well, we'll chat a little bit about that uh, later. But um, yeah, pubs in, in general, I suppose that, you know, the kind of the dominating thing that you seem to hear a lot about is, you know, pub closures mm. and uh, that seems to be what grabs the press what's the general state of the industry what's the vibe you work with lots of publicans i do um and thankfully it seems that 2019 to 2020 uh seems to be the rebound year for the pub industry and we are starting to see some really positive news um 
you know, there's been a bit of a turnaround. And I think this is the first time in over a decade that openings across the UK um, have risen, which is fantastic news for the pub industry. At the end of the day, the pub industry is over a thousand years old. um, And, you know, there is also negative press for the casual dining sector and they're probably only about 40 years old. So um, in terms of its longevity, I think the pub trade's doing very well it's good because we're known for our pubs i traveled uh, you know quite a lot a long time ago but i remember going around australia and popping into some of the bars and stuff and thinking man i really miss a british pub there's something about them that feels it's really identity unique. it's british identity and it's it's one of the main tourism attractions people come to the uk and they want to go to an a good english pub yeah Fair to say, though, that they're fairly uh, diverse and eclectic, I guess. You've still got your sort of sticky carpet, warm beer, but you've also mm. got this huge level uh, of investment, I guess, now in the kind of, yeah, the new genre. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, I, I like to call some of them hybrid pubs. Um, I mean, you still have your classic pubs um, and they will forever be around. And that's, I think, a great British identity. But there's um, more and more sort of brew pubs popping up, um, you know, breweries opening up and tap rooms, that sort of um, yeah, hybrid pub, as I call it, which is really exciting. Yeah. Now, generally on this uh, podcast, I tend to speak to the kind of, you know, the independents and the smaller guys rather than the big groups. But so is, is the pub sector, is it dominated by big groups or actually is there a huge amount of independent pubs out there? I think predominantly from my conversations with industry professionals, it is majority owned by, um, you know, the big groups, your Youngs, your Stone Gates, etc. Um, but they are, I think, giving more... Uh, autonomy to the licensees to sort of um, diversify their offering and have a bit more control of each pub and the managed pubs. Um, Independence, I think, did they have been struggling more. Um, business rates, I think, has been the biggest issue for the pub trade and possibly the whole hospitality industry. Um, same as so, you know, changing social habits um, and you know the cheap alcohol in supermarkets, but. I think it's it's making a turnaround and I think these sort of the hybrid pubs and the historic pubs that are changing their offering, they're the ones that are thriving now. Okay. And it feels like a, you know, it should be a useful partnership really because there'll be a lot in the you know the more independent entrepreneurial area where uh, there's you know, big barriers to entry to pubs because they'd be quite expensive. But if you work with some of the brew, big brew houses who also want, you know, I think they recognise that they don't want every pub to look the same. They want it to feel... Uh, yeah, independently owned and kind of been a part of the local community, I guess. So if they can get that partnership right, then it should be quite an exciting time. Absolutely. I don't think that, you know, with the the big pub groups, it's not a cookie cutter sort of one size fits all, um, you know, different demographics around the country. You've got to diversify your offering to who your customer is. You know, someone up in deepest, darkest Norfolk may not want a low and no offering and a nice vegan salad or something. They, you know, might want something like some fantastic car scales and, um, you know, a nice burger. And whereas in London, they might want that, I suppose, more trend driven offering. Um, But I suppose the thing with these big groups is that I suppose they've got the opportunity to be able to support those pubs in in that offering, working with uh, big partners like Matthew Clark and Brakes and, you know, Rationale. They can sort of get the right equipment and the right food offering to help 
diversify your offering to your customer base. Uh, they've also got the buildings, I guess, haven't they? And the, the buildings, buildings exactly. You know, I'm taking down my way on the south coast. You know, we've got some beautiful pubs out in the New Forest and out in the country. Um, Fuller's is definitely one of the big players out there. But uh, yeah, they are stunning. But to buy them would cost an absolute fortune. But I think if they can work in partnership with the independent sector. So what sort of things then are you seeing change? Uh, you know, what's making modern pubs good and having this resurgence? I think knowing your customer and knowing your identity as a pub. Um, you know, if you're going to be a gastro pub, make sure that your food's really great. If you're going to be a brew pub, you know, you're, you know your beer's going to be the things that the customers are coming for. Um, I think also those publicans that aren't afraid of change um, and aren't afraid to embrace the new trends that are coming through, whether that's and your drinks offering or through experience or through your food offering um, or even your design and decor. It's it's those that are sort of willing to adapt to the changing customer because, you know, millennials will be the new 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and, you know, it will all change. So... Uh, you've got to keep going with the times. Yeah. So we'll start with experience. I interviewed um, Swingers, uh, Matt from the Swingers kind of golf. I don't know if you've yeah, been there yeah. up in, in London. And there seems to be a big uh, kind of desire, I suppose, for more experience-led um, hospitality. Is there anything that you've seen or anything that pubs can be doing in that I mean, genre? yeah, everyone I speak to in the industry is always talking about the customer experience or the customer journey. Um, so to... I think using your space differently is a big opportunity for pubs um, and experiences can come in many variations. You know, it can come through your food, whether you're getting a supper club and, you know, a famous chef to come or a local chef to come and do something different or, a, you know, a vegan night or something or special events. If you're doing like a festival or, um, you know, you're hosting some talks with um, interesting speakers or or even brand partnerships. Brand partnerships work really well, you know, that can come through gin gardens or, you know, champagne nights or something. But there's I think there's some additional revenue streams that can come out of creating experiences um, for your customers. Swingers is a great example, but I don't think many pubs can, you know, put a mini golf club in their pub. No, no restaurants. Might be a better crazy golf in the garden, maybe. Exactly. But, but you know, pubs maybe even created the experience. You know, pub quizzes have been going on for I years. I said that to him when I interviewed him. I said, you're only, it's just darts, really, isn't it? Competitive socialising and, and skittles. You know, yeah, and, you know, Monopoly. Yeah. You know, before you know it, you've spent six hours in the pub playing Monopoly and yeah. how many pints later? Yeah. On, I'm having flashbacks to my student days. <laughs> um, so the new wave of experience junkies, is that actually, is that an event? Is that something you're doing? Is that on the stage? Or? That is, that will be on the stage. We've got um, Emma Inch, um, who actually has done our pub podcasts. Um, I was going to say, I know that name, yeah. that's why, yes. <laughs> and she's going to be hosting with some, not all publicans, but I think there's definitely lessons to be learned from bar operators who are uh, creating an experience. So we've got um, Charlie Gilks from Inception Group. They've got the Mr. Fogg's Taverns, which are all about Phileas Fogg. So that's that's through design. Um, and they've also got, you know, gin safaris and um, all sorts in their places. They've got Bunga Bunga. And um, then we've got Mac and Wild. 
Um, and they've got a shooting lodge in their bars and whiskey and shooting lodges. And, you know, they're also, again, driven through experience with um, their food offering, which is very sort of Scottish and traditional. Um, and then uh, Pele Pub Company as well will be on that session. And uh, they're very experience driven. You know, they love doing music festivals and music events um, to try and bring in the customers. Because at the end of the day, I think... Uh, by having a different experience offering in your pub, that's an opportunity to gain new customers. So fantastic revenue stream there. Yeah, I've always been really envious actually of, again, I suppose I'm thinking more of country pubs than town centre pubs, but, or even though in town centre, they've quite often got space. They've quite often got beer gardens. They're quite often old buildings rather than maybe some of the newer restaurants. And, uh, you know, I've seen some great local produce, produce kind of shows in the in the gardens of some of the pubs. I'm thinking of Jamie Oliver and his cousin and, oh, and the guy from Blur who does the cheese festival. I'm sure that's oh, a, yeah. <laughs> in a pub garden somewhere in the country. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, they've got they've got the space. Just looking Definitely. for ways of using it in different ways, I guess. Well, I've got a local pub and they've got, um upstairs they've got you know a private dining room which is empty half the time so they've just you know offer it out to local artists to do you know art classes or you know floristry classes and you know every evening or you know not they don't do it on the weekends but every evening during the week especially in january um you know they they kind of have all these different classes that you can go and take which is great fun because then also you're there and you may want to have a drink and some food after yeah so with all of that, then are they changing their target market enough? I'm thinking of uh, you know mums and prams. Can they can they turn up in a pub now quite happily and have a cup of coffee mid morning? Is that happening? Or um... I think so, definitely. Um, again, I've got another local pub, <laughs> which has um, you know sort of mummies and toddlers, and they open up the the garden in the summer and just you know the kids can run wild because they're in a safe place. You know they're not going anywhere. And the mums can all sit and have a nice glass of wine, you know, and relax. But I'm sure there's, you know, civilised coffee mornings as well. <laughs> but wine will be better. Although that does lead into, uh, I know you're also looking at uh, trends at the show. Mm. And one of the trends, I interviewed uh, Will Beckett last week from Hawksmoor, whose mum, Fiona Beckett, is the uh, the wine journalist for The Guardian. But she's just written a book, which I bought last week, coincidentally, to give to one of my team. And it's all about non-alcoholic drinks and the mm. kind of tedium, I suppose, of the history of non-alcoholic drinks. In, in not just in pubs but in restaurants as well and this changing trend do, do, have you noticed that you know why why are people becoming interested in uh, in booze free and, and can pubs take advantage of that i think it's possibly the biggest trend when it comes to drinking trends um mindful drinking i think is a, a fantastic way to put it or um you know sober curious um it's not that i think it's probably been pushed through by millennials um you know, they're not attracted to, you know, those sitting there and getting drunk. They're probably more interested in staying at home and being on Instagram or social media and not talking to each other. <laughs> but I think people are becoming more health conscious and, you know, it's it's not attractive to kind of sit there and get absolutely plastered. It's, it's people want to take um, better care of themselves. And um, I think this whole kind of low and no and mindful drinking movement is certainly one of those um ways that people are doing that and you know laura willoughby she is from a company called club soda she's um actually got one of our drinks x sort of experience hubs at the show and she's going to have a diverse range of amazing low and no uh drink suppliers in this drinks x experiential um 
hub at the show. So she's she's certainly someone that people should meet and talk to. She's also got a talk on our Talks at the Bar feature um, to explain a bit more about this movement. And there's great opportunity. People may want to come into the pub and hang out with their friends, but they, they, they've got to drive home or they've got a meeting the next morning or they just don't fancy a drink. But, you know, if you go up to a bar and this is Laura's quote, actually, she says, if you go up to a bar and say, what, what soft drinks have you got on offer or what can you offer me? I'm not drinking tonight. And they say orange juice or that, you know, that really sweet flat Coke from the pump machine. You're just, she's just said, you're going to get water, aren't you? You're going to say, no, I'd rather just have a glass of water. Um, However, if you've got this array of, you know, amazing gins, uh, not gins, sorry, ginger beers or, you know, 0% beers and all these different, yeah, botanical drinks, exactly. Um, You know, and you can charge a premium price for those. And I'd quite happily spend, you know, £4, £5 on a, on a nice soft drink than, um, you know, a flat orange juice or Coke. Yeah, I think it's people moving away to this kind of, uh, yeah, drinking less, drinking better, mm. but also just wanting, yeah, more premium experience. You're not probably going to go out and have, you know, six or seven of those in the same way that probably our parents would go out and have six or seven pints. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, still still open up to it. We've certainly noticed it as a, as a change in trend in the restaurant scene as Are well. Are you doing dry January? No, personally, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> January's a hard month to do. <laughs> January's depressing enough as a restaurant. Exactly. It's kind of like everybody came to a Christmas party. Nobody comes into the restaurant for the whole month. I think, yeah, if I didn't have booze at least yeah, to get me through Someone's got to drink in there. Exactly. I think it would be ironic as a restaurateur to be kind of encouraging people. But I do absolutely stand by the principle of uh, of drink less and drink better. Exactly. You know, I love the range of um, you know craft beers and, and IPAs. I had a beer last night and it was a 6% kind of pale ale and I only had one nice bottle of beer. Well, funny enough, while I was prepping to come and see you today and, uh, and it was great. But it is, yeah, it's not about going out and having a few um cheapy drafts which does move mm. us on actually so so booze luckily um is still relevant we had a huge uh growth in the last couple of years i guess around uh craft beer mm-hmm. and certainly kind of craft gins uh you've got a, a cider the next craft beer section yes. on menu. i heard a little rumor that might just be because you like cider but what's the uh, <laughs> apart from that, apart from that what, what's the reason is that are you seeing that i'm a big cider drinker uh, well, not big cider drinker but i'm a big <laughs> fan of cider um and, you know, ciders as established as beer is in terms of its history and, you know, its um, British heritage, I suppose. And I think there's definitely a craft movement happening. Um, you know, it's it's a local drink. It's sustainable. Um, and I think people, when they think of cider, they're thinking of those really carbonated very sweet European um, ciders, but actually there's a real movement in the UK in different apple varieties um, and flavour combinations that are coming out. Um, And I think it's also the way that it's being served and and who it's been um, targeted to. For example, I've tried some amazing rosé ciders um, and, you know, they've been served in a wine glass and Maybe that's the new Prosecco movement, who knows? But I think adapting sort of the way that you serve cider and the different types of cider that you have, um, I think there's a fantastic opportunity there. And I think um, it should certainly appeal to 
maybe the female audience, um, you know, the way that Prosecco and gin has. Um, and we've got Gabe Cook, who is the siderologist. He's coming in to do a talk that's, about... Is that his actual job title? That is his actual job wow, title. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> but, you know... Wine, for example, you've got sommelier, that's a qualification. Um, same with beer, you've got Cicerone, so you're um, beer certified. They've now got a pommelier, which is, um, you know, a cider expert. So yeah. I actually kind of really want to do that. <laughs> I that sounds awesome. And, and, yeah, it does, yeah. I'm just thinking of my Aussie family who call us all palms, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, it makes sense. There's hundreds of varieties of apples. Mm-hmm. They're very local in the same way that I guess the, you know, the gin movement has started to use yeah, local uh, botanicals and kind of foraged, uh, yeah, foraged herbs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it makes absolute sense mm. that, um, that cider goes... Uh, the next way um you've also got i think something about uh whiskies or to the dark side so other spirits and i guess yeah what's where where do you think the growth in whiskey yeah, we've is got a from? session called whiskey business pun intended um, <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of again from my work i get to um i get exposed to um some fantastic insights from industry experts and one of the trends that's um uh, lingering and about to kind of make its big debut is um, English whiskey, and this is really exciting. I'm very excited by this because um, you know the, the barreling process is about three years, and obviously the gin movement sort of had its um, time. Well, it's still going, but a lot of the gin distillers have now started barrel or barreled the whiskey, and it's now ready. Um, this year, I think, is the first year that most of it's ready. There's only probably about three that are available around the country now but in the next few months i think there'll be a few more coming to market and um, and if you think about it if you think about scotch whiskey and the flavor and the the way it's created if you think of scotland it's you know barren cold wet harsh conditions um and you know the flavors that are coming through are very peaty and smoky and all that sort of thing um Whereas the English whiskies, I think there's some really exciting flavours coming through. Lots of cherries and fruity flavours and it's a lighter flavour and um, it kind of makes you think of, you know, the Garden of England sort of thing. Um, and I think there's opportunity in reaching a new market with whisky. Um, again, with Scotch whisky, I think you look at maybe an older man <laughs> sitting in front of a fireplace. There's Scottish people throwing things yeah. at their speakers <laughs> as they're listening to this. Going, yeah. You uh, know, drinking his whiskey in front of the fireplace yeah. or, you know, a group of lads enjoying their whiskey. Whereas I think these new flavour combinations that are coming out with the English whiskey might be appealing to, you know, younger females. And, um, and I think also there's an opportunity to mix them. You see think, uh, people like Fever Tree and Coca-Cola are coming out with these mixers um, to match whiskies and tequilas and um, other dark spirits, which is, um, I think, exciting for that sort of mm. spirit category. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I hadn't really thought about it until last night, but I've interviewed a few um, gin distillers over the years. And I, you know, I was very conscious that the reason we were seeing the growth in, in gin was partly because of some sort of government changes in, mm-hmm. in making it easier yeah, for people to set up yeah. Yeah, licenses. But actually it was the speed. You know, you can distill gin super quickly, uh, whereas whiskey took time. And, and, and actually when I read it, and I thought, oh, that's actually fairly obvious, isn't it? All those people who got into gin a few years ago, it makes sense. Why wouldn't they, you know, leave some yeah. stuff and distill it and, and, and produce it over a longer period of time? 
So I will definitely be English uh, whiskey. Come yeah, in no, like I'm going to go and Davies research. Explain. And I've got a few people in my team who, uh, yeah, who love uh, whiskey. Is he on both days or? Uh... Dawn is um, on Wednesday. Wednesday, so she's perfect. speaking on Wednesday. Okay, she, yeah. so yeah, that's the one that uh, potentially I can come to. Perfect. <laughs> um, tequila, another one. Is that uh, is that seeing changes? I mean. I think so. <laughs> just your personal night out. You went out and went, oh, I'm going to curate a show around exactly, my drinking habits. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Everyone. What a, what a privilege. Come on. Yeah. Um, no, I think the tequila is an interesting one. Um, America's been hot on tequila for a few years. And I think uh, the UK's market's starting to pick it up as well. Um, you know, more so on a night out, I'll see people drinking tequila cocktails or shots of tequila um and there's some really lovely and delicious um tequilas out you know normally it's you've got to lick the salt and drink that yeah, shot and it burns and it's yeah. horrid but yeah. you know there's some delicious tequilas that you can drink smooth and neat and they're lovely. <laughs> yeah, there are. No, my team, so, uh, yeah, they, they love them and uh, and do some beautiful cocktails. But I don't think pubs in general, um, apart from maybe your sort of, you know, your, your, your premium and uh, maybe more food-led and branded, that I suppose are a little bit more bar-related. But in general, I don't think you perceive uh, pubs as being sort of cocktail-orientated. Is there going to be a need for more kind of, you know, mixologists uh, moving out of the trendy bars and into the pubs um, to do this? And again, I suppose any evidence of that changing that you've seen? I I think quite possibly yes. Um, again, I, I think touches on the low and no because there's a big move in mocktails and um, and zero uh, percent spirits. You know, you see your seed lips. I was chatting to last week has got some as well. Our Tristan Stevenson I think has got a range. He used to be uh, sort of one of the best cocktail barmen yeah. in London, and now has a range of yeah. And it's you know there's free. mixologists now creating these mocktails with you know. These, I suppose they're bot- botanical drinks yep. or yeah, mm-hmm. non-alcoholic spirits. Um, Example-wise, there's. Do you watch um, First Dates? That's it. Okay. Do you watch First Dates? Fortunately, not. Although I think I might have seen a couple of clips. My daughter might have. Uh, so <laughs> there's a bartender on that called Merlin, and um, he's actually opened up a pub in Kilburn called the Priory Tavern, mm. and. They've got an incredible drinks offering and obviously he's a mixologist and yeah, so they, they do mocktails, cocktails galore and um, I think I think there might be a movement towards that, possibly. <laughs> Excellent. Well that's good. Um, so moving away from booze then mm. and on to food. And again, I'm you know, I just think of these incredibly eclectic and diverse, but uh, seems to have been a huge change with a lot of the restaurateurs I've been speaking to, even Will Beckett, you know, specializes in, in steak in Hawksmore. You know, we were chatting about the change and the growth in kind of plant based, I guess. Um, similar thing, is that something you're looking at at the show in uh, yeah, food trends? Yeah, we've got the taste table, which is a new feature stage um, where we've invited some incredible chefs um to come and demonstrate, you know, a versatile offering in your pub, in your from your kitchen. Um, I think food offering is a fantastic um, revenue stream for pubs, um, and more and more are picking it up. I don't think you need a, a kitchen with you know all the bells and whistles these days. You know, you can have a very small kitchen footprint and deliver a really simple, great food offering. So that's something that will be reflected on the taste table with. Um, yeah, some great sessions in store. And you've got a to meet or not to meet session, is that right? <laughs> yeah, we've got Neil Rankin, um, who's an incredible chef. Uh, we've He opened Temper mm. in Soho, I don't know if you know it. Yeah. Um, 
And if you think about it, that was, well, it's a steak restaurant. And he has just launched Simplicity Burger, which is a fully plant-based uh, vegan burger chain on Brick Lane. Um, and he's coming to sort of showcase, you know, the number one item, the top item on any pub menu is a burger. True. Apparently. Yeah, no, well, even <laughs> in the restaurant, I, I, yeah, it's, it's the most thing we sell as well. And we do sort of drive the chef's bonkers, but yeah. Exactly. And uh, he's coming to showcase how, you know, you can deliver uh, a plant-based burger. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a, they're fantastic. It's good for the environment. It's sustainable. Uh, it appeals to the vegan crowds and... Yeah, I heard on the this news this morning, movement. I think it was uh, 50% of, you know, the biggest growth, certainly in supermarket releases, new products last year by far was uh, was plant-based or vegan. But mm. actually that it's something like 50% of the population now say that they're cutting down on meat. So the flexitarian market even more. It's been an interesting challenge. I used to drive me bonkers um, a couple of years ago, the, uh, the veggie and vegan offering on our menu. But I went predominantly plant-based almost two years ago just yeah. to try and understand it and learn about it. And uh, and it's been a challenge trying to get my chefs to embrace it. But now actually, you know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of different types of uh, vegetables and fruits and plants that you can make food with and only kind of, you know, half a dozen main sources of meat. So once we're kind of over the, the barriers, it's really exciting, I think, to see chefs uh, experimenting, uh, yeah, so much more with colour and flavours that you can do with plants. Absolutely. So I think it's a positive change. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's good for your business at the same time. You, you appear more, or you, you're more ethical and you're doing your bit for the environment. But at the same time, uh, we've got another session with uh, Raphael Luth, he's the head chef at the Jugged Hair, um, and he's coming to showcase. Uh, we've got a session called Game On, and it's all about let's put game back on the menu. Yeah. Um, you know, fair enough, you've got your chicken and your burgers and stuff, but what about English game? You know, it's seasonal and it's sustainable. So he's coming to. I suppose field dress a few rabbits. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, no, that'll be uh, yeah, that'll that'll be a good session. So we're clearly going through uh, a potential change, and there'll be some people listening going, "Look, don't destroy the classic British pub with its kind of ambiance and its uh, yeah, its kind of uh, low lighting and the smell of beer." And there'll be other people going, "Wow, this is exciting! You know, we've got great new food and, and innovation and prams in the pub." Um, yeah, what well, you know? Are you looking at that issue around what defines uh, a pub? I guess. Absolutely. And we've got an opening session on the Wednesday, um, which is our CEO panel. So we've got Clive Watson from the City Pub um, Company and Chris Gumbrell from Brewhouse and Kitchen. And they're coming to um, talk about, I think, two of the most vital resources to the industry, people and the planet. Um, And they're going to come and talk about the pub trade and you know, their thoughts and I suppose their predictions for the year ahead um, and what they're doing in in their pub group companies to sort of evolve and but still stay true to the great British pub. Yeah, amazing. Um, it, it genuinely sounds like a great show. I'm going to work harder to clear my diary for the Wednesday. I know I can't come <laughs> on the Tuesday just so I can come. Um, are there any other sessions that we've not touched on that uh, you would particularly like to rave about? Um, I mean, I could rave about them all, but... <laughs> But I think uh, the Great Sausage Roll-Off is yes. our sort of, um, our theatre piece, I'd call it. Really? Um, You're not so inviting Greg's for that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, good. So we've got uh, Angus McKean. He's the um, landlord at the Red Lion in Barnes, and he started the, the Great Sausage Roll-Off um, 
quite a few years ago. I can't remember how many. But the the roll the roll off is on a road show and it's coming to Pub Twenty. Really? <laughs> yeah, and um, so they've got Paul Dickinson from uh, for the Smith and Turner and some of the previous winners of the roll off coming back to do a Champions of Champions. Oh, amazing! Which I think yeah, no, it should be good fun. So one of the one of the lovely things for me about hospitality is it's full of amazing people, uh, you know, great human beings. The, one of the amazing things about what you do is you create events where you bring all of these people together and almost celebrate our industry. Are you running some uh, awards in the show that kind of highlight particular things and achievements? Yes. So we've actually launched the Pub Awards. Um, so it's born out of our desire to celebrate amazing people within the industry um, and we've got two awards and um, you can vote now on our website thepubshow.co.uk um, the first award is for the best publican and the second is best pub chef of the year um, and it's really an opportunity to um, praise the unsung heroes I suppose of the industry yeah amazing good so uh, when is it so it's the 4th and 5th of February um, and the awards will be announced at the end of the day at uh, 6 o'clock on the pub theatre. Okay, amazing. Uh, and I've just found out we've got Candice Brown, who was the winner of Bake Off, and she's also a publican and she's oh, really? going to host for us. We've oh, also wow. got some fantastic live music as well. Amazing. So it should be good fun. Okay, awesome. Sounds good. Uh, who should come? Um, anyone who's in the pub industry. We're a community event and you know we really want the community to come together network and enjoy and praise our pubs <laughs> okay if somebody's just interested in maybe setting up a pub one day in the future and interested in a, in a career in hospitality is it open to them as well absolutely um all you need to do is just go online and register it's it's free to attend and uh where do people go to uh yeah register get tickets and find out more you go to thepubshow.co.uk, click on the button register attend, register to attend and just uh, yeah, fill in your details. Amazing. Perfect. Well, look, good luck. You're going to have a very busy uh, few weeks ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll get this uh, episode out as soon as possible. So hopefully we can encourage some more people to come. But I just think in general, yeah, you know, the, the kind of the trends you're spotting, the things that are coming up next year, I think it's fascinating, not just for the pub trade, but I think anybody in hospitality, bars, restaurants, I think it's, uh, it's fascinating. But I hope the show goes very well and thank you for sparing the Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And remember that on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned. And we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics. So you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday